this sermon written early this week, and some kind of unknown computer glitch erased it, so I wrote it again. So hopefully the second one is the right one. Open in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, the one in the pew in front of you. Uh, is available. We will be on page, I think it's 1,025 in the Pew Bibles. If you don't own a Bible and you would like one, take one of those Pew Bibles as a gift. How many of you have heard things like this? Where, where was God during the Holocaust? Or where was God during 9-11? Or where was God when some other tragedy happened? Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you thought that. Or, or maybe you thought, you know, God just feels so far away right now. Maybe you've felt that yourself. Maybe you've talked with other people that have told you that. You know, if God would just show up, more people would believe in him. You heard that one? Like, why doesn't he do those kind of things that he used to do? Make himself known to people. We, as a church, we believe this, that God is not hidden. It's on our logos. It's on our flyers. And we are going to start a short series And we do this at the beginning of every new year, reminding ourselves of who we are as a church, what we are about as a body of believers. And we're going to talk about our mission. And our mission is, is, and it's on the, the banner in the front door when you come in, it says that Revelation Church exists as a family of Jesus followers seeking to know him and make him known to the people of North Idaho and the nations through Jesus-made relationships, Jesus-focused discipleship, and Jesus-empowered service. And so over the next couple weeks, we're going to answer the question, where is God? If God is not hidden, where is God? And so in 2 Corinthians, this is, this is Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, at least the second letter that we have. Fun church fact, there's probably four letters at least that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. We don't have them all. Um, but if you kind of read through, it seems like he wrote several other letters. But 2 Corinthians is the second one that we have. And he wrote to the church of Corinth. Paul, of course, is, a, is an apostle He is a messenger uh, for the gospel of Jesus. He has dedicated his life to telling people that they can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. And so he's writing to this church. And in the beginning of chapter five, he's talking about how the future hope of the Christian is that we have life. Death is not the end for us. We have new life in resurrection. And he says, because of that, This is how we live our lives. And in verse 16 through chapter 6, verse 2, he's going to talk about two different things. He's going to talk about something that I call renewal, and then he's going to talk about something called reconciliation. So renewal comes first. Look at verse 16. 
from now on then, because of the new life we have in Christ, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. He says, because of the resurrection, we see the world differently. We see the world through the lens of Jesus. If you, because see, from a worldly perspective, and, and in the church we say worldly and it's a bad thing, and Sometimes it is a bad thing, but it just means a normal perspective, the way everybody just kind of operates and thinks and lives their lives. From a worldly perspective, to say that I have dedicated my life to a crucified Roman criminal, that's crazy. That's absurd. From a worldly perspective, why would you do that? In fact, the Jewish people have a, a verse in the Old Testament that says that cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. And by the time of the Roman government, when they had perfected crucifixion, the Jewish people said, oh yeah, that's totally true. If you're crucified, you've been cursed by God. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people were crucified in the first century. Whether you were, maybe you were an insurrectionist against Rome, maybe you, were a, you had committed some kind of capital crimes against the government, maybe you were part of uh, an army that the Roman people were fighting. And just to show how powerful Rome was, thousands of you were crucified along the roadside. And to say, yeah, that's my guy. That's weird. Because see, Jesus didn't, didn't really seem like Jesus was a winner. Jesus was a loser. From a worldly perspective, it's crazy that you would put all of your stock in someone who is crucified as a criminal. And so as Christians, we say, well, but he wasn't just crucified. He rose from the dead. Right? And, and this, is, this is hugely important for our faith. We're getting a few months away from Easter where we're going to celebrate the resurrection. And if, even Paul says in the other Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he says, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are to be pitied more than any other people in the world because it is foolish that we would follow Christ. So yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but... Jesus' victory was won on the cross. See, Jesus took on sin and death by going through it himself. In 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's talking about this. And he says, starting in verse 6, he says, We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age. The rulers of this age are spiritual powers that have authority over different geographical areas. These rulers of this age are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, God has enemies. And God thought, you know what? If we can destroy the king, if we can destroy the savior, if we can destroy the coming Messiah, we win. And so they did everything in their power. And you can read about it in the gospels, everything in their power to get Jesus killed. But that was the plan. 
See, God tricked them. If they had known that that was the plan all along for Jesus to go straight to the cross through death and conquer it, they never would have had that plan. The rulers of this age were playing directly into God's trap by getting Jesus killed by the Romans. Real quick, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, I've read this for you guys before, but I I love it so much. Chapter 5, verse 5, John is in heaven and he's seeing this vision of crazy things that we don't have time to talk about this morning. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The, The elder says, Look, the lion of Judah, the one who's conquered. There he is. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Standing in the midst of the throne. See, the elder says, The conquering king is over there, and John looks and he sees a lamb with a neck wound. Because the victory that Jesus won was won on the cross. And that's completely upside down from the way we think power works, the way we think authority works. As Christians, the Spirit of God is alive in us, and He begins to change us change the way we see the world. We, we come into this world learning things like might makes right. Nice guys finish last. Make sure you get what you deserve and fight for your rights. I realized after I wrote that that half of those songs are like punk rock, or half of those things are punk rock songs. Uh, one of the things that I do, I've told you guys this, uh, we have a, um, a relationship with Brian Elementary. And at at lunch on Fridays, I I take my lunch hour and I go hang out with second and third graders on the playground. And if anybody has time during uh, their lunch hour, any day of the week, we could use more volunteers because they just want adults to love them. Bryan Elementary has some of the most at-risk kids in our community. And most of my hour there is spent teaching ethics. Because invariably, we will be playing a game, and some kid will run into another kid and knock him over, and then that kid will cry, and I'll be like, hey, buddy, why don't you go help him up and see what the matter is? Why? He's slow. I'm better than him at that. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> and it's like this completely different worldview that these young people have, because it's what they've grown up in. It's the, it's the world that we swim in. And the way Jesus works is completely different than that. So Christians, we begin to see the world differently. But look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Christians are a different kind of people. We we have been, the Bible says we have been born again. God is in the process of making the whole world new. And it started with Jesus. Jesus is called the first fruits from the dead. And every time a man or a woman gives their life to Christ, they get born anew. And one more person is completely new. And one by one by one until eventually Jesus is going to return and make the whole world new all at once. 
But the thing is, is that's a messy process. Have you noticed? It's filled with stumbles and falls. If any of you that have children, it's like a toddler learning how to walk. They get up and they're all wobbly and they think they've got it and then they fall over. And then they, then they get going really fast and they run into the coffee table and there's tears and bruises. But eventually they get walking. And for us, it takes us a lifetime to get our spiritual legs about us. The thing is, is you don't, you don't notice it unless you have history with it. If today is your first Sunday at Revelation Church, you're thinking like, what is wrong with this place? It is all screwed up. But if you've been here for a while, you know that like, wow, it's so different than it was last week. There's growth and change. And that's what it looks like to be made more like Jesus. If you just take a snapshot of who you are, you're like, man, I am screwed up. But if you look back over the years, God's spirit is working in you and slowly shaping you and forming you into something that looks a lot more like Jesus than it did when it started out. So Paul says, we are renewed people. But then he starts talking about this thing called reconciliation. Verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. So Paul, Paul points all of the, um, the praise for this transformation on God. It's all God's doing. But notice Paul isn't just talking about forgiveness. We talk about forgiveness a lot at church, and forgiveness is such a beautiful, wonderful thing. I was looking at um, yesterday, you've probably seen it, it kind of exploded on social media, a young man named Brant Jean who um, was speaking at the trial of the murder of his brother who was shot and killed by an off-duty police officer named Amber Geiger. And he got behind the microphone and he said, you know what, I forgive you because I am a follower of Christ. I don't, I don't want for you what you caused for my brother. I want good for you. I want life for you. And, and he starts tearing up and he asks the judge, can I go give her a hug? And he goes down and he hugs the woman that killed his brother. And that's a beautiful example of forgiveness. But even in that forgiveness, she's going to jail, and rightfully so, for her crime. And when she gets out of jail, I might be wrong, but they're probably not going to be the best of friends. There's no expectation that they should be. See, forgiveness puts a wrong away, but reconciliation is something different. See, reconciliation is being made part of the family. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you for your sins, but he didn't just say, okay, we're, we're good now, have a great life. He adopted you into his family. And so, Christian, this morning, God is not angry with you. 
God is not disappointed in you. God is not ashamed of you. There's nothing in between you and his everlasting, unconditional, overflowing love. We just, we just sang it. You asked me to be your friend. That's the, the relationship that Jesus has won us through his death and resurrection. And that's worth celebrating. Amen. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God hasn't just reconciled us to him. He has given us a job to do. God wants everyone reconciled. God wants everything made new. And Paul says, we are his ambassadors. What does that mean? Uh, an ambassador is the official spokesperson of a nation on foreign soil. Just in the news this week, uh, our government um, did, had a, the, I don't know how to say it, performed a military operation against some Iranians. You may have seen it in the news. One of their generals was killed. The Iranian ambassador was on TV, and he promised that there would be harsh revenge from Iran for what we did. Nobody watches that interview and goes, yeah, but he's just the ambassador. He doesn't even live in Iran. He lives in Washington, D.C. That's silly. We don't have to listen to him. No, he's the official spokesperson of the Iranian government. We take his word, word seriously because he represents his country. And Paul says, you and I, we are ambassadors of Christ. That's, that's a big deal. That's a big responsibility. Everywhere we go, everything we do, we are representing Jesus. I feel like I fail at that so much. And yet, he still trusts me to be his ambassador. Ambassadors get vetted. If, you've, if you ever watch C-SPAN, it's super fun. Um, ambassadors go before the Senate and they, they grill them. Like, you know, what did, did you cheat on your art test in third grade? You know, they say all kinds of crazy stuff to dig up dirt and see, are you qualified to be an ambassador? And then they vote. It's a big deal. It's a big job. And Paul says, you are Christ's ambassador. You are the perfect candidate to proclaim my love to the world. In verse 21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this is a verse that is 
steeped in theological controversy. I'm going to share a little bit with you this morning because I think it's helpful. There's some disagreement about what Paul is talking about here. Some would say that he's talking about something called a foreign righteousness, that Jesus takes our sin on himself and gives us God's righteousness in its place. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. We have been made right with God. We are perfect in God's sight. But in the context of this passage, some other scholars would argue that that doesn't really make any sense to the flow of what Paul's saying. And what another way to read this is that because Jesus took sin on himself, he made us fit to become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Righteousness You could also say justice. Those words are pretty much interchangeable. It's a relational thing. You can't be righteous by yourself. You can be holy. You can be good. You can be ethical. But if you lock yourself in a room, there's no one to be righteous to. Righteousness involves another person. And so what I think Paul is saying is that Because Jesus died for us, because Jesus took away our sin, he made us fit to be the hands and feet of the way God relates to the world. God's righteousness, God's goodness, God's holy moral character in relation to other people comes through us. Remember back in Genesis chapter 1, we've talked about Genesis a lot. God creates human beings, and he says, I want these to rule and reign and subdue the earth underneath me. We're going to rule together. And Paul's saying, because Jesus died and took away our sin, we actually are fit to rule alongside God. We are his image bearers. We, we show the world what he's like. And so Paul is excited about renewal, and he's excited about reconciliation. But then if we keep going to chapter 6, there's no chapter breaks in Paul's letter. We just do that for convenience. He's still talking about the same thing. He says, working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So he, he makes a plea to his readers. And for us this morning, some of us would, would say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And others might say, you know, I, I'm not. I've, maybe I've, I grew up in church. Maybe you know, I knew a little bit about Jesus. Maybe I have no idea what anyone's talking about. If that's you, if you're, if you're not a Christian this morning, right now through his people, through his word, through the sound of my voice, calling you to be his friend. Calling you to receive the gift of grace. Forgiveness of sins because Jesus paid for all the terrible stuff that you've ever done and will ever do. But not just forgiveness, reconciliation. God wants you to be part of his family today. 
today. Now is the acceptable time. But for those of us, most of us would say that we are Christians, we are followers of Christ, we have given our lives over to Jesus. We have a job to do. Paul's words are for us. Today is the day. If you're not an ambassador, if you're not living your life in a way that is uh, outwardly sharing who Jesus is with the world, Paul says, what's getting in the way of that? Maybe you feel like you don't know the Bible well enough. You probably do. Christian, that's all you need. How did you get saved? Tell other people that. And if you feel like you don't know the Bible enough, learn some stuff. We live in a generation where you have greater access to more information than any people in the history of the world. Get in your phone and figure some stuff out. Maybe you're just, you're just too busy. Make some time. It's the new year. If you're into resolutions, figure it out. My friend John is fond of saying that we all have the same amount of time. We make time for what's important. And so if we're serious about our job as ambassadors, if we've recognized that we've been reconciled to God and, and we, we want to take our role seriously, not because we're afraid that God's going to be angry with us, not because we're afraid that we're going to go to hell, but because we want to do what our Father wants us to do, figure out how to make some time. Maybe you feel like your circumstances are whatever. There's a million different excuses that we make. But Paul gives us this opportunity in chapter 6. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Now is the acceptable time. Make the decision. Get some friends together. Make the decision with them. We're going to take our role as Christians seriously. Because here's the thing. Where is God when tragedy strikes? Where is God when I don't feel his presence? If God would just make himself known in powerful ways, more people would believe in him. Where is God? Wherever you are, wherever I am. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus made relationships display God to the world. And the week after that, we're going to talk about how Jesus-focused discipleship displays God to the world. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about how Jesus-empowered service shows the world who Jesus is. Because we believe that God is not hidden. And for some crazy reason, the way he decided to show himself to the world is through you and me. There's another verse in Revelation when, where an eagle flies through the sky proclaiming the gospel. And you just think, well, that would have been, that would have been easier, right? Like, just, you just do that one time and everybody would hear it. And God's like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to partner with my people. I want to give them power from my spirit and I want to send them out with the tools that they already have to be lights. 
to represent me everywhere they go. And when disaster strikes, my people will be there. And when men and women feel far from me, my people will be in their midst. And when people need convincing that Jesus is real and that he loves them, my people will care for them and love them for me. We're going we're gonna to worship some more. We're going to take communion. And communion is such a rich picture of our relationship with Christ. But one of the things that it is, is it is an opportunity to take nourishment into our bodies. I admit it's not a lot of nourishment. That's a logistical thing. <laughs> but we take the bread and we take the cup into ourselves reminding ourselves that the Spirit of Christ is in us. The Spirit of Christ is motivating us, is energizing us. That we aren't, we aren't commanded to just go out and do stuff. We are made into new creations, and given supernatural power to live lives that represent Jesus. And that should be like the most exciting opportunity you could possibly think of. And so as we, as we sing, as we worship, the communion table will be open. Come and, and take the bread and the cup back to your seats and, and take communion uh, on your own and, and ask God, like, how, how's it going with me? How's la- how was last year? What are some things I need to tweak for 2020? Where are some areas that I can grow? Because I guarantee you those are questions he would love to answer for you. Let's pray. God, we are, we are, as people, we are fearful that that your love isn't real. We are fearful that that maybe, maybe even though you say that we are reconciled, maybe you hold a grudge because maybe you didn't know what we did this weekend. But God, help us to feel the grace and the love that you have for us this morning. That we wouldn't be guilted into, oh man, I need to share my faith more. I need to read my Bible more. I'm just a really bad prayer. But that we would realize that we got the coolest job in the world. And it's going to be so much fun. To do it well for you in your strength and in your power. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we sing, you would just remind us of who you are, remind us of of the resources that we have within us by the power of your spirit, and that you would just equip us to be your ambassadors in this city in 2020. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church 
at revelationcda.com.